This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Quantum computing represents a step-level jump in how we process things. But what is it and how will it affect our lives? I'm Roger Chang and this is your Daily Charge. With me is CNET breaking news guru, Corinne Reichert. Corinne, thanks for joining me. Of course, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you've got a fascinating piece on the quantum computing race, but before we get into who the major players are, can you break down for our readers what quantum computing actually is? Right. So regular computers store data as bits that are either zero or one. Quantum computers have qubits that can store much more complex data that combines both zero and one. So in layman's terms, this kind of means that they can explore many, many more solutions all at the same time. Right, where you know a computer uh, already can sort of process uh, different probabilities, uh, you know, far greater than we can. Uh, quantum computing really is sort of like a, an exponential jump in that processing power, right? Right, exactly. So, uh, what does that actually do, and, and really, what impact will this have on people? So, at the moment, they're mostly theoretical. One of the reasons I wanted to look into them is because these big tech companies are pouring so much time, skills, and money into them. So I kind of wanted to talk to them about what it can actually be used for. And the answer is not a whole lot unless more people have access to them. So that's where they're all kind of competing in bringing cloud services into it. As to what they can do, there's kind of a quandary because companies want to make announcements to reassure their customers, but without giving details away to their competitors. So we kind of have vague outlines of what they're experimenting with, but not many exact details. Well, go into some of those examples. I mean, there have been... Um you know, I guess, theoretical possibilities for what quantum computing could be used for. But like, I don't know if you could talk about what some of the potential applications might be or what some of these companies have been hinting at. Mm -hmm. So Delta Airlines is using IBM's quantum computer to work out a way to reschedule thousands of flights simultaneously and almost instantly whenever there's a big weather disruption, like a hurricane or a blizzard. Because at the moment, it could take them hours or days to reschedule flights to fit into airline timetables and airport timetables and they're left losing money while customers lose patience. So throwing equations into quantum computing could theoretically make this a whole lot quicker and easier. All right, so let's let's get back to the race. Who are some of the major players in quantum computing? So while companies like IBM and Google have been working on quantum computing for years and they're not done yet, they're already beginning to look at how they can provide access to their current capabilities through cloud services. So by tapping into those quantum computers, other companies, organizations, educational institutions that don't have a billion dollar budget can still use them to do things like design super batteries that don't lose charge, create complex chemicals, solve equations. So as to who's in the race, there's IBM and Google, as I just mentioned. Also Microsoft, Amazon, Intel, IonQ, Rigetti, and Honeywell. So I spoke to IBM during CES, and they already have more than 100 companies paying for the premium quantum service. So that includes access to its hardware plus its own experts. Uh, They also have a free quantum experience cloud service, which is being used by around 225,000 people now. So that gives people access to 
a quantum simulation to see what kind of things you could calculate or work on if you did use the quantum computing. And, and the, really, the idea here is you, know, you don't have to build your own quantum computing. You can sort of tap into the processing power uh, to really solve uber-complicated equations or uber-complicated problems, right? Right, exactly. So a few of them are doing this as well. I guess they're jumping on board the same kind of thing. So Amazon Bracket is now in early development on AWS. That one will give researchers and developers access to quantum computers, not from Amazon, but from D-Wave, IonQ, and Rigetti, so that they can experiment. Uh, Amazon is also looking into possibly mass-producing quantum computing, which could also bring them into the hands of a lot more people. Microsoft also announced a cloud quantum service with access to Honeywell, IonQ, QCI computers, and a startup called Rigetti actually launched its quantum cloud service way back in 2018. All right, and I know you know last year or was it a couple in the pre-coronavirus times. Uh, <laughs> I had Stephen Shanklin on. He talked about the idea of uh, quantum supremacy, something that Google had had talked about. The idea that a quantum computer was able to solve a problem that a traditional computer couldn't. Uh, you know, Google made a lot of noise about that, but like, are they in the lead? Who's actually in the lead when it comes to this quantum computing race? So Google claims to be ahead in quantum computing overall. It actually says it's the only one in the race because, as you said last year, its machine solved a problem that's impossible for classical computers to solve. No one else has been has announced being able to do that. They might have, but they haven't announced it. But Google doesn't have a cloud service yet, although it's planning to add one sometime this year on Next. And look, analysts say they're all neck and neck. It really depends on what they've announced, what they're doing behind closed doors. It could change from month to month, uh, especially given how they do do a lot of the development and testing behind closed doors so that they don't give anything away to their competitors. Right. now, And uh, that, that idea of secrecy is an interesting one. But uh, you actually got to see a, either a mock-up or an actual uh, example of quantum computing at CES, right? Right. So I saw a full-scale replica of IBM Q System 1 at CES a million years ago in January. <laughs> that really rolls off the tongue, by the way, that uh, the, the, they really have a knack for, for names for these things. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's, it doesn't look like a, a typical computer, which I think we all generally know it looks like, you know, microprocessor, fan, battery. What does a quantum computer actually look like? Right. So it kind of looked like a huge copper wire chandelier suspended inside a glass dome, which is cryogenically cooled. Plus, it has a big data center over on the other side of it. So it was simultaneously a lot bigger and a lot smaller than I expected. The data center, I wasn't expecting to be so large. And the actual quantum computer was also a lot prettier than I thought it would be. Right. It's like, like it's shiny. It's almost like a, a, a work of art, like lots of glass and, and, and copper, right? It was. It was it was beautiful and very futuristic, which I'm sure is part of the design process to make it look as futuristic as possible. But it just looked like a pretty centerpiece to the entirety of CES. Interesting. And the the idea that being cryogenically frozen, like what's uh, what's the deal with the temperature? Like it, it, it has to be at a certain state. Like what's what, why why the cryogenic process? So it has to be kept at uh, a temperature cooler than outer space so that it can keep functioning. So it's definitely not going to be uh, replacing your normal computer at home. It's not going to affect your everyday life because it's not like you can have a cryogenic chamber inside your house. So, uh, yeah, it needs that cooling to keep running. I mean, I could probably fit one in my living room. It would probably take up the entire living room and look a little awkward, but I could probably throw a cryogenic freezer there. 
I don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, also <laughs> computers back in the 1970s were probably this big as well. And people right. were talking about whether they could fit one in their house. So, who knows? Yeah. I mean, that's, I guess, the natural question is, uh, is this something that we'll ever see consumers get their hands on like an actual quantum computer or is this more you think this is more going to be a cloud service that people kind of tap into you know with their smartphones or or pcs down the line yeah i mean at the moment not unless they're studying something related there's a lot of uh, educational content out there now uh or they're using the free cloud simulation services but i mean that's what those services are for to show people what quantum is actually being used for so i think that will be the only way in the in the near future. Right. Um, probably not for my four-year-old. Um, he's doing distance learning now, but quantum computing might be a little might be a little bit more of a stretch. Well, I'll throw him into it and see what happens. That's, that's true. All right. <laughs> uh, that wraps things up. Before we go, it's a little bit of trivia for you. Today is the World Wide Web's birthday. 27 years ago, CERN put the World Wide Web into the public domain to ensure an open standard. And we're all grateful for that. All right, you can check out Corinne's story on CNET.com. If you have any questions, leave us a voicemail at 862-250-5713. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening. <laughs>